Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Well, I got a good word for you tonight. Are you ready for the Word? Oh, I'm ready too. I have a word from the Lord for you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 20, and we're only going to read a few verses, but those few verses are going to encapsulate what I believe God wants to say to us. I want us to read verse 1 through 4, and then verse 14 through 28. Let's read the word of the Lord. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Mehuniites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the sea, it's already at Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. What did he do? And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now shoot on down to verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazael, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, uh, the son of Matana, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Everybody say it out loud. Ready? Do not be afraid or discouraged because this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. The battle is not whose? It's not ours. It's whose? It's God's. We could stop right there. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up the position, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Everybody say it. The Lord will be with me. Wow. Jehoshaphat bowed down his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Everybody say it with me. With a what? Now, remember that now. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Everyone say that with me. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They were what? Defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped 
to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert and looked down toward the, looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Somebody say, hallelujah. Look what else goes on. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah where they praised the Lord. And this is why it's called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. Somebody say hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, tonight you want to give everyone in this house victory, tremendous victory. Victory over situations they could never believe they could win in. And you're going to do it because you're the God who longs for us to know your power. So I'm praying tonight, Holy Ghost, you would come upon me to give me great liberty in preaching so I can communicate what you put in my heart. And secondly, Lord, I pray for you, O Holy Spirit, to come upon this congregation and put faith in their hearts to believe you for miracles. And may miracles break out among us tonight. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do, and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How do you handle a big mistake that almost takes your life, and then on top of that, a huge crisis comes right behind it? You say, wow, that's a, that's a mess. Yeah, how do you handle something like that? Is there a way you can still be victorious in the midst of such a mess? Well, I say yes, and I say yes because of the story of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Let's take a look at the backstory for Jehoshaphat just for a moment. If you're taking notes, you might want to write a few of these thoughts down. My secretary's on vacation, so forget the notes. You don't get any notes tonight. And some of you don't use them anyways. You make them into a paper airplane, and that's about it. But some of you are really students of the word, and I appreciate that. The backstory of this is 62 years before this moment, when King Jehoshaphat became king. He began to rule over Judah. What had happened 62 years before is the nation of Israel became divided between two kingdoms. The northern kingdom became known as Israel, which was ruled by kings that did not serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a very sad situation. They worshiped the Baals. Then there was the southern kingdom called Judah, and the small tribe of Benjamin was a part of it. And that southern tribe was a tribe that had the sons of David who ruled over them. And Jehoshaphat was a son of King David. Now the division was really a result of Solomon's sin, the son of David, years before. Solomon had married a thousand wives. You know the story if you've 
read this life of Solomon, you realize in the early part of his life, he had great wisdom. But when he came later on in life, what began to happen to him is he began to become like the world, so much so that he married a thousand women because the number of wives you had said to the world how much money you had. And uh, we got people having the same problem today. Oh, my. Not all at one time. It's more serial today. But the sad thing about it is those thousand wives, most of them were pagan. And near the end of his life, he began to worship the pagan gods of his wives. In fact, he even built temples for them and literally caused Israel to begin to worship the pagan gods of the people around them, which was a grievous sin to God. And so God judged Israel. He divided Israel into two kingdoms. And that's the situation 62 late years later when King Jehoshaphat took over the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jehoshaphat, interestingly enough, as we read in 2 Chronicles 17, and you look at it through verse 3 and following, because the life of Jehoshaphat is really told over three chapters. It's a very important moment in the life of, of, of Judah. And it says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David. And it mentions a number of things that he did. He did not consult the Baals. He didn't, he didn't get help from those who knew not God. He sought the God of his father. He actually sought the Lord. He followed the Lord's commands. He attempted to put a stop to pagan worship in his kingdom. And when you look on down at verses five through uh, 7 through 9 of chapter 17, you'll notice that he sent out teachers throughout all of Judah, and they taught the word of the Lord. He literally began to disciple his people. You see, that's why I preach from the word. I don't preach just from thoughts in my head. Because my thoughts aren't any better than your thoughts. But God's word is better than everything. And if you know his word, everything changes. And so that's what began to happen. His people began to become disciples of the Lord. And the result of his following the Lord was dramatic. God established his kingdom. Uh, the, he, the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms around uh, Jehoshaphat's kingdom of Judah and they wouldn't attack because they were afraid of the Lord and he gave to Jehoshaphat great power he had a powerful army and fourthly he had great wealth and honor now he had the whole thing come on somebody ought to be excited because he sought the Lord he obeyed the Lord it was wonderful but it's in chapter 18 now that you begin to see something shift. In this place of great power and wealth, I kind of assume that that may have blinded him. He, he does some very big boo-boos. He does some things that are really weird. One of the things he did is he gave his son in marriage to King Ahab's daughter. Now, King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, and King Ahab was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel, and King Ahab was a Baal worshiper. And so he, he ties his family to this horrible, horrible, evil kingdom. 
Now, I think in the back of his mind, he was probably thinking, maybe this is the way we can join the two kingdoms back together. Listen, your thoughts most of the time are dumb, like mine. But when the Lord gives you a thought, oh my, everything changes. But just man's thoughts about how they're going to manipulate stuff to get it together isn't going to work. Not only did he make a big mistake there that cost Judah all kinds of stuff. You read the story on beyond this. It's, it's a horrible story. You know the, the story of... Um, we, we have a lot of different stories about uh, uh, an evil queen and all of those things. You know, they're kind of uh, make-believe stories. But when you read what happened, there was such a woman like that. And that, that's what happened. That marriage created that because this wife that he married was as worse as Jezebel. And it, she took over the kingdom and killed all the king's sons. And I mean, this is bad news. Are you hearing me? So he made a huge mistake. But he not only made a big mistake there, he also made a mistake with with going and joining King Ahab in a war against Syria. Now get this, he's actually aligning himself with King Ahab. And King Ahab gets killed in that war and it was only the mercy of God that Jehoshaphat didn't get killed either. He escaped by the skin of his teeth, if you will. And then right after that, he comes into the greatest crisis that could ever take place in his kingdom. Three major armies gathered to fight against him, and it looked like it was all over. Now, when you stop, you have to ask some serious questions. What spared him? How did he get through such a huge mistake in such a crisis? I want to talk about that for a moment because you'll begin to notice something. You say, well, why is this so important to me today? How many have ever had a crisis? Let me see your hand. How many of you ever made a mistake? The rest of you are lying. We've all blown it. We've all done something stupid and wonder, oh my, how could I have been so dumb? Now, how in the world did Jehoshaphat get through that? If we can discover how he got through that, we can discover the secret to victory in every situation. Are you still with me here? Is somebody sleeping next to you? Slap them upside the head on my account. Tell them, wake up, you need to hear this. Well, you'll notice something that he continued in the midst of his mistake to seek the Lord. And even, now this is interesting. He, he continued to uh, listen to the word of the Lord even when the prophet came and had to rebuke him for the stupidity of the mistake he made. He didn't do what his father did, King Asa, and, and arrest the prophet and throw him in prison. He received it. And you'll notice that in essence he repented. What he did is he began to continue to serve 
the Lord, to seek his face, to serve God's people. In Second Chronicles 19.4, it says he went out again among the people and turned them back to the Lord. So what he did is he moved forward and he attempted to continue to seek the Lord, even though he made this horrible mistake. And he attempted to be used by God to turn his people to the Lord. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. Because that's the exact opposite of a number of people that I've dealt with over the 41 years I've been your pastor. They make a big mistake, and then here's what happens. I'm not going to go back to church because somebody's going to ask me, how come I've been gone? Who cares? You're supposed to be seeking the Lord. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks, and you don't even know what they think. That's a lie from the devil. People love you in this house. They grieve when you're not here. You got, you got people that allow the enemy to put dumb thoughts in their head. And instead of seeking the Lord, they begin to back away from the Lord. The very thing they needed to do to compensate for their mistake, they do the very opposite. They get out of ministry. They, they don't think anybody wants to be around them anymore. You run to the Lord. I said, you run to the Lord. I said, you run to the Lord. You seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat continued to serve the people. In fact, he went out among the people to turn them back to the Lord. Wow. He goes on, and you'll notice there in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 19 that he, he sought justice for the people. You see, what he did is he kept his spiritual foundation intact. Look. Look. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen time and time again. I've seen those who have blown it and then drift totally away from the Lord. And I've seen those who made certain decisions, big mistakes, and yet they draw near to the Lord. And God turns that situation to good in their life. The key is that spiritual foundation that is intact even in the midst of when you blow it. It becomes such a part of your life that you yearn. You yearn to draw near again. You know, I, I've told this illustration before, but it comes to my mind, so it must be something somebody needs to hear. When I was growing up, my parents believed in the words spare the rod spoil the child so they did if we made a mistake we knew what was coming if we disobeyed we knew what was coming and uh, very every one of us had different ways that we dealt with the issue uh, for example I'll never forget I I put padding under my underwear because I knew that I was going to get a spanking except when dad took me into the room he said, pull your pants down. He had a word of knowledge. It doesn't help when your dad has a word of knowledge. 
and all my padding fell out, and boy, did I get a spanking. Never forget that. But my brother Phil had the best way to deal with this issue. Now, if you ever know, Phil is quite an interesting fellow, great man of God. But see, he knew how to deal with getting spankings because when he knew he was going to get a spanking, He'd run to dad, he'd grab a hold of him and say, I love you, dad, I love you, dad, I love you, dad. And dad, he was holding on so tight. I think Phil had the better plan. And in some sense, that's the plan of God. We draw near. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. And that spiritual foundation was intact. So that when the big crisis came, you notice exactly what he does. And I want you to just kind of write some of these thoughts down because it will really help you. The first thing, and that brings us to our text here in chapter 20. You'll notice that the first thing he did when he heard about this great army that was coming against him, a crisis that would wipe him out in the entire kingdom, he inquired of the Lord and he fasted and prayed and had others fast with him. You see, God has an answer for every crisis if we inquire of him. You've got to get past this thought, well, I I know everything. I know how to deal with all this. No, you don't. We don't. We don't have a clue. Well, pastor, you've gone through all this college. You must know a lot. Yeah, I realized how much I didn't know when I went to graduate school. I've come to this conclusion. I thank God for all the degrees. I thank God for all the education. But one word from the Lord One strategic insight from God is what I need. He inquired of the Lord and he fasted and had people fast with him. You've got to do that. You're facing crisis. There's a way out. You inquire of the Lord. You seek his face. You fast. You pray. And he prayed. Now, here's an interesting thing about this prayer. The prayer is recorded. How many want to pray powerfully? Let me see your hand. How many want to pray in such a way that you know your prayer is going to be answered? This is the pattern. This is huge. You know, I did a little series on ways to pray. I didn't deal with this prayer, so I'm dealing with it tonight. I want you, when you get home, to read the prayer of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. Let me just kind of give you a brief outline. In verse 6, he recognized who God is and his power. When you start to pray, you pray in the awareness that God has the ability to meet your need. If you don't pray that way, how in the world is God going to meet your need if you don't believe he can? Secondly, in in verse 7, he remembers what God did in the past. You always bring to mind again to the Lord, this is what you did for me in the past, I believe you can do it again. Thirdly, he claimed God's promise to hear from heaven there in verses 8 and 9. Remember when the temple was dedicated and uh, God spoke? You know, Solomon was praying, and it was, it was an interesting thing. He said, 
in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins and heal your land. And here's what Jehoshaphat knew that promise from God. And he claims it. He says, God, I'm here in the temple. We're crying out to you. You said if, you would, if we would cry out, we've humbled ourselves. We're fasting. We're praying. God, intervene. There's promises that God gives you. Please don't just minimize those promises. Did you know I pray at night? oftentimes a promise. And the promise is that he gives sleep to those he loves. And so I say, Lord, you love me. I need a good night's sleep. Oh, is it that simple? Yeah. I'm claiming a promise. I need wisdom. I claim a promise. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. The book of James. There are promises you claim in your prayer. I claim the promise of provision. You said, Lord, given it shall be given to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I'm giving. I believe you're going to pour into me what I need to meet my need. Are you listening to me tonight? I'm trying to help you. I want you to pray powerful prayers. The fourth thing is he obeyed what, what, uh, what God said. He, 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 um, <clears throat> he obeyed the Lord in verse 10. You take a look at verse 10. It's very interesting. Uh, it says... Um, Read it with me in verse 10. He says, he says uh, let me read it here. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned from them and did not destroy them. He says, now God, we obeyed you when we were coming into this land. You told us we couldn't touch these clowns because they were related to Abraham. We couldn't touch them. We obeyed you. Now here they're trying to kill us. So God, you better do something. Fascinating prayer. (laughs) He appeals to God as the righteous judge there in verses 11 and 12. My goodness. Look at what he says. He says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Wow. He shares about how his trust is in the Lord. Well, you'll notice God speaks, and it's awesome. When you pray a prayer like that, get ready for God to speak. And he speaks, and here's what he says. Don't be alarmed or discouraged. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be alarmed and discouraged. Turn to your other neighbor, say, don't be alarmed and discouraged. Now, say this to him. God has this. Listen to what he says. It's so cool. He says, the battle's not yours. It's God's. God has this. And then thirdly, he says, look, you got to do your part. You got to obey. 
my strategy for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to stand. Look at what he says there in verses 16. It says, take your position, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Isn't that something? What, what a strange strategy. You just stand there. You go to the place where he tells you to go and you just stand. That's what God said. Now, and then finally, he had faith and he encourages faith there in verse 20. And it's amazing what he does. He says, uh, <clears throat> the Lord is with us, so don't, don't, don't be discouraged. He's, he begins to encourage their faith in verse 20. He makes a big deal about it. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa as they sent out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Now, all of those things we need to do, correct? Let's repeat. What are we going to do? We're going to first inquire the Lord fast, pray, right? And then we're going to pray powerfully, right? Everybody got that? And then we're going to allow the Lord to speak to us and hear his voice and obey, right? Ah, and have faith in him, right? Ah, but it's this next thing that is so unique about the victory that Jehoshaphat got. Before the battle even happened, while the people were just there at the temple, the people themselves, the Levites, when the Lord spoke like that, the Levites stood up, it says, and in a very loud voice, verse 19, they began to praise God. Now stop here for a moment. N nothing's happened yet. No army's been defeated yet. But they're standing up and praising God in a very loud voice. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the shout that the children of Israel did on the seventh lap around Jericho and the walls fell. I think there's times where we need to shout. I think there's times when we need to get off of this mealy mouth stuff, stuff muttering under our breath and start praising the Lord with all we're worth, with full voice. You say, oh, pastor, I don't like a loud church. I want it where it's real quiet. Well, you won't like heaven. You won't like heaven because it's loud. Uh, there is a place where it's pretty quiet. You just hear groans and grinding of teeth. You can go there if you want. You won't hear a lot of loud noise. Maybe a few screams every once in a while, but that's about all. I'm trying to get you ready for heaven. Some of you are so into yourselves. For me to just have you raise your hand, you go like this. You're afraid your arm will fall off if you lift it up too high. And I ask you to praise the Lord. And you go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You sound like a parrot. Praise the Lord. You think God's impressed with that? I don't think so. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Nobody told them to do that. Jehoshaphat didn't tell those Levites to do that. It was their response to the word of the Lord. 
And they did it with all their heart. Now, here's what's even more amazing. Here's what's even more amazing. Now, think about this. Look at the very next verse. Because when, when you look at this, in, in, in verse 2 of, of chapter 20, let me see, what is it? Verse, uh, uh, my, I can't even read my own writing here. Now, that's pretty good, isn't it? You'll notice there in chapter, uh, let's see, where are we here? All right, good. Let me see. I must have left out a number. Now, everybody take a look. Early in the morning, they left for the desert. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, and he tells them about having faith. And then he, it says, after, look at verse 21. I left out the one. After, it says, after consulting the people. Now, think about what he, what just, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat, appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out and had the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love and his friend. It wasn't Jehoshaphat that gathered the choir. It was the people that said, we need to praise the Lord. It's not my job to keep, praise God, praise God, come on, praise God. You should be so much praising God that you get upset when the pastor says, it's time to do something else, shut up. But, you know, we have to have spiritual cheerleaders now. Raw, raw, re, kick them in the knee. Come on, guys. Has God done something for you? You don't need me to keep pushing you to praise God. You ought to come in here praising God so much that you just make an electric shock throughout this building. And you'll notice Jehoshaphat consulted with the people. It was the people's idea for them to gather and to sing and to get a choir that walked before the army. And when they did that, when they did their part, God did his part. Wiped out that army. They all killed each other. And the praise didn't stop there. It's, it preceded the victory. And then they praised God all the way back to Jerusalem with loud worship and praise. Listen, the church is really the moment where the body of Christ celebrates what God's been doing all week. We praise him when we come in, and we praise him when we go out, and we praise him when we're driving home, and we praise him throughout the day, and we praise him in the morning, we praise him in the noontime, and we praise him in the evening. What happens when we praise God like that? Well, you'll notice what happens there in verse 30. It says, God had given him rest on every side. The result was peace. You're going through a crisis? There's a way to victory. 
It shows it. You made a big mistake and you're wondering how in the world you're going to get through that mistake. There's an answer here. Keep your spiritual foundation strong. No matter what, find your place in the house of the Lord, seeking his face. Get up for early morning prayer meeting. When you're driving to work, spend time worshiping the Lord. Fast and seek the Lord. Pray powerful prayers. Be open to hear the voice of the Lord and then obey what he says. He will give you a strategy. Look, guys. The only thing I know about how we're going to fulfill this vision, it's not going to be fulfilled because it's on a wall. It's going to be fulfilled because God's going to give us strategies to bring that about because the people of God are going to pray, oh God, give us 1,200 congregations. Oh God, let us minister to 120,000 people every day. Everything you see around you has come from a word from the Lord. Everything that's happening has come because people have sought the Lord. People have prayed for their pastor. And God has been merciful to speak. More than anything to that, he's allowed me to have an ear to hear his voice. I wish I could hear him all the time. He's speaking all the time. I, I got to get the wax out of my ears. I got to get my spiritual antenna fine-tuned. Boy, I tell you what, I know God has a strategy for every situation. I know that. I know that. I know that. Obey the word of the Lord and finally praise the Lord. Praise will release the hand of God to destroy the onslaught of the enemy. Praise is a powerful weapon against the powers of darkness. You say, why is that the case? Oh, I write about it in my book. You can be a winner in the invisible war. I believe before Satan fell, he was the closest being to God. He was an archangel. Because the description you have there in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, if you put a composite picture of Satan before the fall, it says he was the anointed cherub that covers. And if what's going on in heaven in the book of Revelation, it's described in the book of Revelation, was going on then where all the praise of heaven was coming to the throne, that meant all the praise of heaven came through Ezekiel, came through uh, Satan. Lucifer was his name in heaven. And what's interesting to me is that there's a telltale sign there in Ezekiel that says that God placed in him timbrels and pipes. That's the actual Hebrew word. Now, in the NIV, they translate it wrongly. But in the King James, it's the real word. It's the real Hebrew words. And you'll notice, you said it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense unless you realize what his job was, was to allow the praise to go through him to the, to the Lord. And in that place, he became proud and he became jealous. He wanted the praise for himself. And the number one job 
the number one thing that Satan will do to every believer is try to rob praise from God. And so he'll give you problems so that you won't praise God. And if you're stupid enough to allow him to do that, it will get worse and worse and worse. But the moment you say, I've had enough, I'm going to praise God whether I have a crisis, I'm going to praise God whatever the situation is, you begin to defeat the devil. Are you listening to me tonight? Now, I've shared what I have had on my heart for you tonight. Now it's time for you to respond. Stand to your feet. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.